Welcome to Integrative Medicine Solutions with Forum Health, the podcast. Our nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers believe in a new standard of healthcare, one that creates optimal health by focusing on partnering with you, understanding your needs, learning about your unique health history, and getting to the root cause of your concerns. Using advanced testing, emerging therapies, and the latest technology, Forum Health providers are at the forefront of integrative and functional health care for all. Your journey to better health starts here. Hey, it's Dr. Siebold again out of Forum Health Utah. Thanks for joining me on this week's podcast. This is week number two or episode two uh, on our conversation in regards to sleep. What are the different stages of sleep? What does this look like? Why, why are these things important to know? So Today, we're going to continue on. We're going to talk a little more about the benefits of good sleep and as well as the consequences of poor sleep. And then we're going to maybe jump into a little bit of some of the lifestyle factors, the things that we could do to improve our sleep hygiene. So thanks again for joining me um, and I hope you find this informational and, and, uh, and helpful for you. So just jumping back, you know, why do we sleep? You know, sleep is obviously very critical. It's, um, it's really one of the most important things we do on a day-to-day basis. And there's, there's a number of physical and psychological reasons for sleep. You know, the general function of sleep is to allow our brain and our body an opportunity to, re, uh, to rest and recover from the day's activities. Uh, specifically, it's a great time for our, our brain to process and sort through the experiences of the day and tie, them, uh, tie those experiences to past experiences um, and, and create a more meaningful, a more uh, accurate, exact picture of the world around us. So sleep's critical, right? It's, it's, you know, if, if we want to look at what, what can we do to maintain optimal physical, mental, and emotional well-being, the number one most important thing probably is getting good quality and good quality amounts of, of sleep. So the amount and the quality really matter. Adults should get about seven to nine hours of sleep every night, right? Sleep changes over, over time. So as our, as we mature, uh, and and also as we get older and start to our brain starts to degenerate, the sleep physiology actually changes. Um, so when we're younger, we're seeing a lot more of the deep non-REM sleep and and REM sleep in the second half of the night. But as as uh, as we advance, excuse me, as we advance in age, there's a decrease in deep sleep, and we start to wake up more frequently, and sleep becomes a little more fragmented. This is this is very common for most uh, adults as we get older. So the typical adult should be getting about seven to nine hours of sleep every night, right? And and there's many of us who will go and we'll sleep six hours and like, I feel fine. I don't need seven hours of sleep. I feel great. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, as far as sleepiness is concerned, you might get by with only six hours or six and a half hours of sleep at night. But but in reality, really 99.99% of, of adults need seven to nine hours of sleep. And if you get less than that, you're going to show some sort of a physiologic, uh, you know, adverse physiologic response in your body. Um, the shorter you sleep in relation to the recommended seven to nine hours per night, the shorter your lifespan. Um, there, there's research that, that shows that. So what are the consequences of, of poor sleep? Um, I'll, I'll say that poor sleep affects many aspects of our health, right? So just in regards to your immune system, Getting less than six hours of sleep per night weakens your immune system and, and puts you at increased risk for different types of cancers. Less than six hours causes an increase in inflammation in the body. 
you're at higher risk for uh, developing upper respiratory infections. Even vaccine efficacy is decreased when you're not getting adequate sleep. So if you're not getting good sleep after you get a vaccine, that vaccine's not going to take as well as it should. And, and, and the antibodies you produce are not going to be uh, as, as good as what it could have been if you had been getting good sleep during that time. There's effects on our brain and nervous system. We see decreased cognitive function. And there are, there are even some links to the development of Alzheimer's disease related to, to poor sleep. Your, your reaction time slows when you're not sleeping enough, and that puts you at increased risk for injuries and accidents. Your ability to concentrate and to pay attention and, and just your mental performance is more sluggish when your sleep is poor. We see impaired memory when sleep is poor. You know, if, if you have any predilection or, or struggles with psychiatric illness, you know, depression, anxiety, suicidality, not getting sleep is really like pouring gas on that fire. I mean, it's one of the worst things that that, that you can do. Um, so, so, so really want to really emphasize good sleep, especially with mental health struggles. Cardiometabolic wise. So studies show that just one week of poor sleep can cause development of insulin resistance, equivalent to that of being, a, uh, being pre-diabetic. That's a pretty significant uh, problem, right? Diabetes, and, and in this case, pre-diabetes, um, starts to lead to a lot of other chronic medical problems. There's increased likelihood of developing coronary artery disease and stroke when your sleep is poor. Uh, poor sleep also causes increased blood pressure and high cholesterol. In regards to our adrenal glands, uh, when we don't sleep very well, cortisol levels go up. And cortisol acutely is actually a really good thing for us. It's one of the most important hormones that, that helps keep us um, alive and functioning well. However, when, sleep, when, when cortisol is chronically elevated, uh, that becomes a problem. And so elevated cortisol triggers the breakdown of muscle, right? So you get sarcopenia. It also triggers the storage of fat around your waist, around your midsection, which is bad fat. Um, and then ultimately that it contributes to that same insulin resistance we just talked about. Uh, poor sleep also will alter your circadian rhythm and ultimately disrupt your sleep wake cycles, right? If there's anything we've talked about in our last section, last uh, section, it's that the importance of trying to really sleep within our sleep wake cycle, our chronotype and, and how beneficial it is for our health. In regards to our gut health, we see that the, our gut microbiome is altered by poor sleep. Poor sleep puts you at higher risk for other digestive disorders, such as acid reflux, irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, constipation, and others. Poor sleep contributes to leaky gut syndrome. And it also, uh, and this is the one I hate, is that it increases hunger hormones, right? And it suppresses your satiety hormones, and which is a disaster if you're trying to maintain a healthy weight or to lose weight. In regards to your musculoskeletal system, Poor sleep lowers bone mineral density. It lowers your pain threshold and it increases fatigue. And then ultimately with your hormones, uh, poor sleep has been shown to uh, cause fluctuations in estrogen and progesterone levels as well as testosterone. Um, ultimately, you know, when it comes to our health and well-being, getting good quality sleep on a regular basis and in the right quantities is probably the single most effective thing we can do to boost our physical health as well as our mental and emotional well-being. Sleep really is foundational to good health. You know, in, in medical school, they teach us uh, how to write prescriptions, and primarily that's for a lot of pharmaceuticals. I think one of the, the biggest mistakes we have is that we don't write enough prescriptions for sleep. Um, you know, if there's one, one prescription I want my patients to cash in on every single day, it's, it's getting good quality, you know, 
and good quantity of, of sleep. So sleep is just critical. There's there's significant health benefits to be had and, and pretty detrimental consequences when we're not getting the right amounts of sleep, right? So let's talk a little bit about sleep hygiene. You know, when we typically, I think when we think of sleep hygiene, most of us are thinking about that hour or two before bedtime, you know, the things we should do, the things we shouldn't do to help us fall asleep and sleep better at nighttime. But in reality, sleep hygiene really starts at the very beginning of the day from the time you get up. Um, we talked last week a little bit about our circadian clock, how it's this intrinsic biologic rhythm within us. It's it's um, it's augmented or, or excuse me, mediated by the suprachiasmatic nucleus up in the brain in, in that this is natural within us, right? And so how do we help align our circadian clocks appropriately? Well, light is really the primary way to set our circadian clock. That, that's important to understand is light is key to setting that clock. So early morning sunlight, as close to awakening as possible, is what's going to help set that healthy sleep-wake rhythm in our body, right? So in the backs of our eyes, we have these cells called retinal ganglion cells, which are ultimately extensions, you know, uh, uh, neurons of our brain um, that will detect light. So light hits these, these uh, cells in the backs of our eyes, and they send an electrical signal to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, right? Or circadian clock. That's the primary circadian clock for the entire body. Every cell in the body has different circadian clocks within it, um, but it's the suprachiasmatic nucleus that kind of sets and controls all of those different cells or all those different clocks in the body. So the type of light that we best respond to is, is, is early morning sunlight. And, and so the the height of the sun in the, in the sky actually is very important. So when you're at a low solar angle, meaning the sun's just coming over the horizon, it's lower, it hits and stimulates those photoreceptors in the backs of our eyes uh, to help stimulate um, and, and prepare us to go to sleep. There's also a certain contrast in colors, in particular between yellows and blues, that helps to set that circadian clock so that 12 to 14 hours later, we start to see a release of melatonin and our body starts to prepare ourselves for, for sleep. Getting that sunlight um, outside is also critical. We know that when you're viewing that sunlight through a window or through your windshield on your commute to work, that it's 50 times less effective uh, as viewing it just out in the open air, you know, with the sun on your face. Even as little as 30 to 60 seconds of that, that, that bright sun can really help set our circadian clock uh, in the optimal conditions, right? And that's typically going to be summertime, bright, sunny day. Longer periods may be more optimal um, or, or, excuse me, may be required in less optimal conditions, such as in winter or overcast days. Um, but it really doesn't take a ton of time to help set that clock. Ideally, though, we're outside for a good 30 minutes every day getting good sunlight exposure. That's going to help with production of vitamin D, uh, other neurotransmitters that help with, with coping with stress and feeling happy, content in life are going to be improved. Obviously, we're, we're right now in a time of period where it's, it's dark outside and many of us are getting up before the sun's even up. And so artificial light can really be a great substitute when we're not able to get that natural light from the sun. Um, so when you get up in the morning and, and you get in, you know, I'd recommend getting into a room and turning on all the bright lights that you can, getting as much much artificial light as possible before the sun comes up um, when you wake up earlier than the sun. On a, and, and this is also where blue light can be very helpful. Um, you know, blue light traditionally gets this bad rap and at nighttime, rightfully so. But during the day and in the early morning hours, especially blue light can be very effective to help set that circadian clock. Um, 
you don't necessarily want to be wearing blue light blockers during the day unless, you know, maybe you're having struggles with migraine headaches or other issues related to that light. Um, but as far as sleep goes, you know, until the last hour or two of the day, you know, blue light is, is going to be good for us. Um, so kind of as previously mentioned, light really is the primary way by which we set uh, our circadian clock. And it's the only direct input we have into that clock through the through those retinal ganglion cells in the backs of our eyes, right? There are, however, some other reliably repeating external cues that can help to set our circadian clock. Again, none of them are nearly as effective as light is, but there are some other ones that can definitely help. And these are these non-photic inputs. And there's four or five here that we'll talk about briefly. But these actually work through a different um, area in your brain, just kind of adjacent to the suprachiasmatic nucleus called the intergeniculate leaflet. And so one of the first ones is going to be temperature fluctuations. So uh, temperature uh, is, is also one of the rhythms in our body. We know that uh, around three or four in the morning, our, our, our core body temperatures tends to be at its lowest point. And then from there, it tends to rise up and then till around about four or so in the afternoon, maybe a little bit later, uh, it, it's, it's elevating until it hits, it hits its peak point between four or six uh, p.m. At that point, your temperature starts to drop again. And it's that drop in, in core body temperature that helps to facilitate going to sleep. And so uh, studies show that a person's uh, core body temperature sh should drop about two to three degrees Fahrenheit in order for a person to fall and stay asleep uh, through the night. There's some things that we could do to help facilitate that. And one of those is a warm bath at bedtime, right? You, you jump into a, a hot tub and, and naturally you would think that, oh, that's going to make my body temperature go up. And peripherally, you know, on the outside of your body, the body temperature does go up. And so what happens is, is your blood vessels dilate and it draws blood away from your core, core body and brain out to the surface to help expel heat. And so it then drops your core body temperature. Um, so that, that kind of aids in that process. Another important thing is, or that you could do is, is to warm up your hands and feet, uh, you know, at bedtime or while you're sleeping. Um, some people will have really cold feet at night, keeping them warm. Again, it improves circulation to that area that, which also helps to prevent awakenings at nighttime, but it draws the heat and the blood away from your core. Uh, and, and again, cooling your core body temperature. So uh, critical for maintaining good sleep through the night is, is maintaining a lower body temperature, right? And then oppositely, when it's time to wake up in the morning, we want our core body temperatures to start to heat up. And so one thing that we'll recommend to people is, is set your, if you have a smart thermostat that you can turn on, you know, maybe 30 to 60 minutes before your, your alarm clock goes off, that can help to um, help get your core body temperature warming up. Uh, prior to your awakening time and help you wake up more alert and ready to go. Another one of these non-photic ways to help uh, set our circadian clock is through exercise, and in particular, early morning exercise, usually about 30 minutes after waking up. That can be really critical. Uh, exercising, you know, if there are ideal times to exercise, uh, number one is going to be 30 minutes after waking up. Uh, and, and maybe these aren't necessarily any specific order. It's maybe what works best for you. Um, your core body temperature is rising at that time. Your, your cortisol levels are kind of at their peak at that time. Um, so that's a great time to exercise. Another good time is about 30, excuse me, about three hours after awakening. Um, your, your core body temperature is still rising at that point, And you're typically around your peak level of alertness at that point as well. 
And then the last one is going to be later in the afternoon when your core body temperature is at its max point, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. When you start to exercise later in the day, like beyond that time, six, seven, 8 p.m., it's going to heat your core body temperature up. And so that's a time when your core body temp should be dropping, but now you're heating it up and you're going to actually delay phase shift your, your sleep, meaning you're going to have a hard time going to sleep at your regular hour uh, because you're not getting that drop in core body temperature. And, and if you want to know, if, I mean, if you want to think about it in this way, why is core body temperature so important? I mean, every one of you, us know what it's like to go to try to go to sleep in the middle of summer when it's super hot outside, the AC is not working for whatever reason, it's hot in our room. It's hard to, to fall asleep, but when it's cool in our room, um, it, it's so much easier to go to sleep because you're getting that core body temperature drop. Two other, two other good ones. I won't say much about them, um, but other ones that can help uh, reinforce that circadian clock um, is, is eating at regular scheduled times. And then also regularly timed social interactions can be beneficial. So um, those are some ways to help set that circadian clock. And really setting circadian clock is really key and trying to sleep within our own clock or own chronotype is really key to, to good sleep. Um, in the evening hours, viewing the sunlight uh, as, as, as the sun is starting to set is also very helpful uh, to set that circadian clock. It triggers those melanopsin ganglion cells, uh, which, which reinforce their circadian rhythm. And, and also another added benefit is that it, it can actually protect you from viewing light later in the evening. You know, typically we think of late light, excuse me, late evening light will uh, block the release of melatonin. Um, but when you're viewing the sun going down, it actually helps protect against that if you do happen to view some light later in the evening. That gets to the next point of avoiding blue light and other bright lights after 8 p.m., you know, or, or sometimes within one to two hours of going to bed, kind of depending on what your time is. Um, you know, one of the things I might say in that regard is the location of light actually matters. So when you're when you have lights in the house, you know, if you have a lot of the bright overhead lights on in the late evening hours, it can also make it more difficult to fall asleep at night. But if you have some lower lights, you know, around the floors of the room or at at you know, waist height, whatever, like the lamps on the tables, those types of things. Uh, those would be the lights to turn on in the evening because you're not going to get as much of that stimulation to those those retinal ganglion cells that that cause you to wake up more. Another key factor for sleep hygiene is just establishing consistency. And that's in going to bed at the same time every day and waking up at the same time every day, including on the weekends, right? Um you really want to try to ensure a bed and wake time that allows you a good seven to nine hours of sleep every night. Most of us set alarms to get up in the morning, uh, but really I would encourage you to maybe consider setting an alarm to go to bed at night. Um, I have two alarms on my phone. The first one is what time I put my kids to bed. And the second time is what time I start to get ready for bed. Um, and, and so having those bedtime alarms can be very helpful too. Next, we want to make sure we create a good sleep environment. So what does our room look like? It's dark, it's quiet, it's free of stimulation, and it's it's a cool, comfortable temperature, right? The ideal sleeping temperature is probably around between 61 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. You really want to, again, keep your room cool, which helps keep your, your core body temperature cool through the night and really promotes you to sleep well through the night. Obviously, your mattress and bedding needs to be comfortable, have good pillows, good sheets, blankets. And then you want to remove any sources of noise. 
uh, or lessen them if, if there's things you can't get rid of with a fan or other white noise machine, right? Ideally, you make your room an electronics-free sleep space. You know, get rid of the TVs, the computers, the phones, other smart devices. Those, those things can certainly be a distraction from sleep. But some people also might be sensitive to the electromagnetic frequencies given off by those devices. And that can interfere, excuse me, with sleep. So they do make home EMF uh, filters or blockers. I know a lot of people will set the Wi-Fi signals at night to go off. Um, that's a great way to keep your kids off their devices and, and get them to go to sleep too. A um, few other things here. Number one, let's avoid sleep disruptors before bedtime. These are things like large meals, alcohol, caffeine, or too much fluid intake just close to bedtime. All those can delay or impact your, your sleep quality, right? So if you're feeling a little bit hungry before bed, try a small, uh, small snack. Uh, something that's high in tryptophan, things like cheese, white meat, chicken, egg whites, fish, milk, sunflower seeds, peanuts, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, soybeans, uh, white meat, turkey. All these are good sources of tryptophan. You want to avoid alcohol within three hours of going to bed um, for, for multiple reasons. Number one, uh, alcohol kind of robs you of, of the most important sleep, the deep sleep and the REM sleep. It really keeps you in these lighter stages of sleep and you don't get into the, the deep stages, stage three, four of non-REM sleep, and you don't get into REM sleep very well when alcohol is on board. And that really impacts the quality of your sleep. The quantity of sleep is actually also impacted by alcohol too, because alcohol can impair your breathing. And then the other big thing is that many people tend to wake up in the middle of the night you know, two to three hours after going to bed, once the alcohol has started to wear off and out of their system. So that's, you know, alcohol certainly might help you to go to sleep, but it's not giving you ideal quality and quantity sleep. Caffeine and, and other caffeinated, you know, beverages and foods should, really should be avoided after 2 p.m. The half-life of caffeine is, is variable from person to person, kind of depending on how quickly you metabolize it. Um, but you want to give yourself a good eight hours of time to allow that caffeine to wear off. Um, you know, a couple of things. Some people are really might get anxious or there, there's certain anxiety or tension provoking activities that some people engage in before bedtime, maybe watching the news, checking on your favorite sports teams or your fantasy sports teams, looking at your stock portfolio to see how things went in the day, uh, paying bills, you know. Those are things that you really don't necessarily want to do before bedtime if they cause you a little anxiety or tension. You know, avoid arguments at bedtime. Figure out a, a resolution that you could do um, so that you're not stewing on this all night and having a hard time falling asleep. And then lastly, the last the last thing I'd say is you want to establish a good, relaxing wind-down routine, right? Um, reading, something that's not overly stimulating, but 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 reading is a great way to kind of start to wind down. Journaling can be a great way to help turn off your mind and, and just get those thoughts out onto paper. Taking a warm bath, as I said, maybe doing some gentle stretching or, or some light meditation, uh, dim the lights, uh, you know, do these types of things to help you prepare to sleep. You know, honestly, like I said, there's a lot of, a lot of good, helpful uh, tips, techniques, things you can do to improve sleep hygiene. But if there's, if there's one that I would say you really want to make sure you're doing every single day is Get that bright light into your eyes every single morning that sets your circadian clock. It prepares you so that 12 to 14 hours later, melatonin is going to start to go up and start to prepare you to go to sleep. So I, I hope you found uh, this week's podcast beneficial. Hopefully there's some things in there that you can start to do to help uh, improve the quality of your sleep. 
and uh, and we'll see you back next week. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Forum Health Podcast. Forum Health is the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers. To learn more about this topic and to find a Forum Health provider near you, visit forumhealth.com.